0: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a beautiful break that was from Derby County. And one chop treated Manchester United's defence with absolute contempt. And a chance from Maria once more.
1: Welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County Podcast. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And in a fortnight where the words imminently and shortly appear to lose all meaning, the Rams continue to cling on to their championship status for another two weeks. But games are running out and fast. Nine games to go, five points from safety. Can we still pull it off or is hope beginning to fade? Uh, joining me Chris Parsons on the podcast this episode fresh from some sea air and a lovely trip down to the south coast it's Tom Martin how you doing mate?
0: Uh, Very well thanks Chris and I did have a very good day yesterday Um, not quite ruined by 90 minutes of football but uh, obviously a disappointing result but a very good day out on the south coast.
1: Sounding remarkably fresh, given you probably started drinking at about half 10, if uh, if previous forms had anything to go by. Are you feeling all right?
0: Uh, yeah, not too bad, actually. We um, Kyle went down with one of my best mates, and uh, he's got two kids, so we uh, actually decided to get a later train. We've got a train at half 11, so actually the drinking only started at 12, and he was really hungover, so um, he struggled through a couple of beers on the train down, so I had to like take take one for the team and drink his beers too, um, which obviously I did, and I feel I feel okay. It was a relatively casual, I don't know, 10 or 11 cans through the day. Uh, so not too bad, not too bad.
1: <laughs> well, our uh, our other panellists will, I'm sure, share with me the fact that uh, hangovers do hit harder when you're a parent. Uh, back once again for his hat-trick appearance this season by popular demand. It's Oli Wright. How you been?
2: Oh, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, I was just marvelling at the idea of uh, drinking 10 cans through a day. I think, you know, like I, like you, Chris, I've got a three-year-old, so um, any sort of hangover is brutally, brutally punished um so it's uh it's just
1: torture, yeah it? it's
2: just you know you just you know the days of just having a day to just you know m- m- just dwell in your own thoughts have long gone so uh, yeah so uh, i think those days are a little bit behind me for now hopefully later in life we'll get back on it but uh, yeah he needs to uh, he needs to get a bit more independent first
1: well if you fancy a proper drink or indeed a soft drink then why not try one from our podcast partners derby brewing company Uh, Derby's original craft brewer. But uh, yeah, as we said, Tom had a great old day out at the seaside in Bournemouth in the sunshine uh, this weekend. But the dark clouds of relegation and the takeover do still linger over Derby County as it stands. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Derby County 0 in our most recent fixture. A goal at the end of each half, enough to condemn the Rams to an 11th away defeat in 19 this season, Tom, um, Rooney reckoned we didn't deserve to lose. And he said he was happy with the performance, but disappointed with the result. But I mean, for me, I feel we're at the point now where good performances aren't really good enough anymore. Did we... Deserve anything out of the game? Do you agree with the manager?
0: Um, I feel that Derby were due to score imminently, uh, which could have been any time through that 90 minutes or at some point in three weeks' time. Because um, whilst, whilst I thought we played well and we created a few chances, even the reports were talking about referencing Buchanan's shot uh, in the second half and then obviously Davis's chance, which was well blocked. Buchanan's shot wasn't really a, a, a really good goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, he lacked a bit of confidence uh, in taking that that on and it was a comfortable save. And actually Davis's chance was the big one uh, that was excellently blocked. I'm not quite sure who it was uh, was by. I think it was the Bournemouth left-back. Um, so, yes, we played well. It was quite pretty. Uh, there was lots of compliments from uh, Bournemouth fans who we chatted to after in the pub, um, and they were very complimentary about Derby. But in reality, we were toothless and in attack. And we didn't we didn't necessarily look like we were going to score. Uh, and once Bournemouth did score there first, it was always going to be a, a bit of an uphill struggle. That said, I wasn't too impressed with Bournemouth. And I think the game could have really gone either way had the uh, penalty decision in the first half uh, gone our way and had we actually taken the lead. So I think we played well. I agree with Rooney. Uh, and I think probably 2-1 defeat would have been a fair reflection on the scoreline and, and the chances created.
1: Ollie yet another result that you probably have to put down as a, a gallant away defeat where we looks like we might get something, had a decent period where we had a lot of possession without really carving out any huge guilt edge chances. But as I said earlier, like those sort of performances aren't really enough anymore in our situation, are They're they? are not.
2: And I think there's a pattern of those that goes back right way to last season, actually, uh, where we kind of look okay. We look okay. We're playing all right. All of a sudden we can see that nothing and then that's it basically. And the issue comes back to just not having enough goal threat. And I think obviously Tom touched on that. Um, I was listening to this one on Radio Derby, but my friend Michael was there and he basically said the same as Tom, huffed and puffed, no cutting edge, um, you know, and didn't really get a sniff in terms of goal-scoring opportunities. And that's, unfortunately, that's just been the, the way of it in away games for much too long. And I don't know if it's the style of play, um, but yeah, we generally look okay, in a game, we look like we're sort of in the game, but then we concede and we just can't score. It's like zero goals uh, away from home. And that's that's unfortunately been the case for much too long. So again, shot count, eight eight shots in the game, that's not enough. Uh, you know, and we don't, we don't convert. We actually have more possession than Bournemouth, which was incredible. I really wasn't expecting that, but I think teams just now, especially when we're away from home, they allow us to have the ball, and and then they they challenge us to turn that into opportunities. Which, unfortunately, you know, we're just not capable of doing regularly enough. And obviously, if you're Bournemouth, you know, they might not have overrun us, and they may they may not have looked you know miles higher than our level. But when you've got tens of millions of pounds to spend on strikers, funnily enough. You know, that that converts into goals. So, you know, six, uh, I think I'm right and said it's six away defeats on the spin now. So if that doesn't stop very, very, very soon. Unfortunately, I think despite the as you say gallant efforts at home, it's it's not going to be enough. So we've got to we've got to put that to bed very very quickly.
0: And Bournemouth were very happy for us to have the ball, especially in the second half, and just sort of knocking it around. Uh, we we got past the first press quite well, uh, and Lawrence and Morrison were picking up the ball uh, extremely well in the first sixty minutes. But when uh, Belic came off, and actually I thought Belic had quite a poor game uh, yesterday, giving the ball away quite a few times. But when he came off, Morrison dropped deeper, and Eberseli was on on the right hand side, and he just didn't looked like he was able to get the ball uh, down and actually get a run on the player. He started off on the left and then switched over to the right. Um, he basically just didn't touch touch the ball in any sort of dangerous position. Whenever we were going forward, it was quite tentative. It was quite slow. The runners were there, but the passes weren't making it. They were either simple passes, which were too, hit too hard or just given away to, to a Bournemouth player when you, we'd open up some space. And it became quite frustrating. And I thought Morrison and Lawrence played really well uh, in the game without really having anything to show with it. I thought Buchanan was quite poor down the left-hand side. He he stopped a few times and didn't play to the whistle. One time, I think Jefferson Lerma chucked himself to the floor and Buchanan turned around and had a go at the ref because he thought he'd given a free kick and he hadn't. And Lerma was able to get up and clear the ball. And it's like, all you need to do is like, Win a corner there, well, or at least if he tackled him as he was on the floor, we were back in in on goal. But he was um, he wasn't actually playing to the whistle, and it it was just really frustrating watching us go forward because it looks nice, and then we get forty yards out, and as you say, there's no goal threat. And the difference between Derby and Bournemouth yesterday was Jaden Anthony on the left hand side, who was. Absolutely outstanding, I thought, for them. Uh, a real threat every single time he picked up the ball, and the, the assist for the first goal was out, uh, was excellent. Not making two players and, and rolling his foot over the top of the ball. And obviously Salanki, he's he's big, he's strong, he's powerful. Um, he didn't look too interested at times yesterday, but he took his goal well, and I think he uh, he was responsible for the setup for the second goal, which was a, a decent save from Allsop. Uh, and he also had a good chance from a corner in the just at the beginning of the second half. So those two players were the difference, and it's exactly what you say, Ollie. Not enough goal threat.
1: The, the threat that did come and the incident which a lot of Derby fans are claiming the game turned on was a first half penalty shout for uh, Ravel Morrison the, uh, the the ball being rolled into him it gets a it gets trod on essentially by the Bournemouth defender but I think and I wonder what your take is on this I feel the reason why it wasn't given is because Morrison does actually get his pass off to Ebi Owe, um, I wonder if that pass goes a little bit astray or the move breaks down, then maybe the ref thinks about giving it and, and pulling it back. But it seemed a baffling decision in hindsight not to give it really, especially as a few fans pointed out when you consider a penalty at Oakwell that was given that was at the other end and looks incredibly, incredibly soft. So just how important was that that decision not to give that penalty, Ollie? do you think?
2: Oh yeah, I mean it was a stonewall penalty. There's no doubt about that. And I think what you know, it's crazy if the referee has decided to sort of well, I don't think he could possibly have played an advantage. Uh I don't think he signalled for an advantage did he? And I think it's just what better advantage can you have than a penalty? Um, so, it was just a it's just another another awful decision. Um and we, yeah, it, it's it's blatant. There's no two ways about it. You know, you only have to look at a replay once and you can just see. Um so yeah, really Staggering, and as you say there's sort of juxtaposition of that, and then Barnsley getting a farcical uh pe- decision in their favor um in the game against full of I mean for God's sake you know ugh. but I think what it shows is that you know basically the standard of officiating is just really not very good in the in the championship. We all know that and i don't I don't understand the frustration like and why some some fans have kind of you know a lot of fans have been tweeting there's clearly some sort of conspiracy and that the Efl are in some way kind of trying to ask referees to make sure we don't get the decisions. I, I just I just don't think that's the case. And as one of my mates Peter put it the other day, you know, if there was that would rely on the EFL being competent enough to organise something, which clearly isn't the case. So I think it's just ineptitude. I think it's mistakes. Um and the problem is obviously, you know, these days we all see T V replays, you know, and we all know <laughs> we all know for a fact that they've got it wrong, you know, very quickly. So, you know, so what what's the logic of the position there? Do you kind of bring in VAR? I don't know. So you know that obviously is a whole different kind of worms. So um, but yeah, I mean it's a stonewall penalty. There's absolutely you no know, getting away from it, and the referee just got it completely wrong.
1: How did it feel in the ground at the time, Tom? Because it's at the other end from where the away fans are. Like, did it look as blatant in real time in the flesh as it did on TV?
0: Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be on the right-hand side of the Derby fans towards the halfway line, so I was probably closer than most um, or as close as I possibly could be. It looked like a foul. We could not I couldn't tell whether it was definitely in the area from, from our angle, because obviously quite low, but it looked like a foul and I was completely confused. There was definitely no uh, signalling of advantage or anything like that. I actually think, I then looked to the referee, he seemed to be looking around the player, so I think it's the linesman on the left-hand side who needs to be giving that, because he, he should have had a clear view of it, um, and he needs to get his flag up, because if he's, I mean, I was certain it was a foul, and then within a minute or so, you guys had message on the on our Discord to say um, how it's not given, it, and it was just like it just was as Ollie said, a Stonewall penalty. There's no vendetta; it is just incompetence. And you could introduce VAR, but then look at the mess that's in the Premier League. And it's not the fact of the technology that's wrong with VAR; it's the fact of the usage of the the people who are doing it. And Stuart Atwell yesterday at um, Brighton and Liverpool. The decision there not to even uh, let Mike Dean have a look at that tackle from Sanchez when Diaz scores the goal, that's not VAR's fault. That's incompetence from officials. And it happens right the way across the leagues. Um, And it's not just in the Championship. It's not just against Derby. And someone said something about the goal that Derby scored against Barnsley last week being offside. I still don't even know whether that actually is offside. And you do win some and you lose some. That, That goal there... Again uh, for Derby, that's not the sort of thing I'd want to get chalked off because I think it didn't. It could could have gone either way. It's the obvious, clear fouls and penalties and red card decisions that could um, that go against teams that need just a bit more consistency. And we haven't had the rub of the green of it this year, and that's un- that's unlucky.
1: Fans talk about this vendetta or whatever and and that sort of thing, and I, I just I, f- I find it hard to believe that there's there's any legs in that really because a these things happen to other teams and b we have had the odd thing go in our favour this season. Like you said, the goal, Ravel's first goal against Barnsley could easily have, have been chalked off on another day if the Lionel puts his flag up. And even, you know, look, like Friday night, I was watching West Brom v Huddersfield. Like, Huddersfield are cruising at 2-0. Then, uh, Sorba Thomas sort of sticks his leg out vaguely on the edge of the area. The West Brom player goes down like he's been shot, the ref buys it, gives the softest of soft penalties. It did not look in any way a penalty to me. And if that happened to us, that would have got all the vendetta talk starting again. So it does happen to other teams as well. But I looked into this and there are um, there were reports as recently as last month. It's been acknowledged that VAR is basically too expensive to run in the lower leagues. But... An EFL source apparently told the Times newspaper in February that a, quote, low-cost alternative um, could be investigated for the lower leagues, which would involve four cameras installed around the pitch. I'm trying to work out what a low-cost alternative to VAR would look like. I don't know if, you know, those guys at Stanley Park would be on sort of rubbish computers on Windows 95 or something. But, you know, it's... Tom, do you think video technology would be something you'd be prepared to put up with if it meant that we apparently did get a, a smoother rubber the green on those sorts of decisions.
0: Actually, no, I I wouldn't because I think that these these decisions are human errors and it just needs a, an improvement in the training and an improvement of of the respect for officials. And I think we need to go to maybe something a bit more like rugby in terms of how people speak to officials because there was a number of decisions that went both ways yesterday that were perplexing. Um, I haven't seen the the dive on Ryan Christie uh, in the Derby box but again. That was down the other end and that that could have been given as a penalty. Um, um, and the, a lot of the Bournemouth fans we spoke to after were like, yeah, the referee seemed very dodgy and they thought it was a penalty at the time for, for Derby on on Morrison. I'd also say that if you watch Morrison's card back, he was clearly losing control of the ball. He puts one tackle in, then he gets up and he lunges and he doesn't get anywhere near the ball. And you could argue if he'd have had a bit more force there. We've seen people like Stearman, for example, get sent off and I think Stearman's tackle didn't look quite as bad as what Morrison's was. Um, and Morrison obviously got sent off against Forrest. Like... It, it could have gone, I'm, I'm not sure, I haven't seen it, that one back, but um, it could have gone a different way for that. So I think it's about it's about training, it's about confidence and it's about actually applying the law correctly. But also fans understanding that referees are really human. Sometimes they're going to be blocked by somebody being in the way and sometimes they're going to make mistakes and it's not a vendetta against you. And I don't think that the, the VAR technology would work because if you've got four cameras, it's not going to give you the perfect angles of things. You're just going to add more confusion and more complexity to it complexity to it and Premier League fans are frustrated with VAR so a VAR light is not going to be the answer
1: yeah I I get what you're saying but you talk about training refs up better I mean apparently that Ollie that the ref yesterday Andrew Madley he's one of the higher rated ones right and he's still not getting these decisions right so is it just a case of accepting that there is going to be human error and that you have to go over that old cliche of you you get some decisions against you but apparently it evens out over the course of the season because that's not what it feels like right now
2: refs are human you know they make mistakes it's a part of it when you're at the game is you know kind of screaming blue murder at the ref because he's blind you know it's 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 older than it's older than you know it's as old as the game you know moaning at the ref so we are i guess we have we have to make a decision at some point and i think it's going the way of it's clearly going the way of more of an american american system where var you know video video technology is accepted and i think the best example clearly of technology is goal line technology where it doesn't interrupt the flow of the game so it's perfect it's an excellent system you know we've had a couple this season whereas Curtis Davis cleared one over the line where it was like a fraction of the ball wasn't over the line and it looked like a goal and it might have been given as a goal pre-goal line technology but obviously the, the ref has his watch. He can look. It's not a goal, and and the game isn't interrupted at all. So that's the ideal situation, I think. So it's where I think the main frustration I have with 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 VAR is where it causes huge delays to the game for very very marginal fractional offside decisions and things like that. But what you do, what where you do benefit is where if the if the referee makes a clear error, which he did in the game against Bournemouth. Then, then the ref, the VAR can say you need to have a look at that, and and the, the correct decision is made. So I think I think what we need to see is better implementation. I see. I think the, the idea of VAR light is a bit worrying. Um, so better implementation of technology, so it doesn't lead to huge delays in the game. It's still a very new thing. Um, I think it's the way that the tide is going. I think people you know, are at the point where they just can't stand refs getting things wrong anymore. And so it's going that way, but it needs to be done in a better way. Uh, and that might just take time because it's, it's still relatively
1: new. We, we, yeah, we could talk about refs till the cows come home. But I think uh, uh, in terms of the player who was involved in that incident, Ravel Morrison, see, seeing more of him, I feel, in recent weeks, you know, got both the goals against Barnsley the week before. Uh, Tom said earlier that he seemed to be a lot of a, around Derby's good play until he uh, drop deeper. Wayne Rooney said recently, uh, Tom, that Ravel Morrison has been a breath of fresh air. Do you feel that we're now seeing the best of him in a Derbyshire at the moment?
0: We're certainly going to need to over the next nine games. If we're going to have any chance of staying up, I thought he was very good yesterday. And what I liked is that he was like really having a go at his teammates to tell them to where to be and to, to up the tempo and to keep their heads up. And he was, he was actually leading by example and through his organization, um, Constantly throughout that game, he was uh, he was often going on at Buchanan for getting to, to get him to get down the left flank to try and offer some width because Buchanan was being too conservative and too tentative, um, and he did the same with Ebbersali when he came on down the right hand side. He was like directing him and pointing him to get uh, make a run in behind to try and stretch the space. Um, and it wasn't just the so it wasn't just his sort of on the ball stuff it was his off the ball stuff too and clearly he's an experienced player well i think he's 28 or 29 now um and he's he's the sort of player that we lack in that sort of experience and and sort of no know, knowledge of the game and and um understanding of the game and we've got a lot of people at the the latter end of the career, like uh, Ckr and Davis, and then we've got a lot of people who are at the very beginning of the, their careers, and so we've got a big void in that middle. and, and Morrison really has to continue stepping up, and I thought I thought he's done very well in the last couple of games, and um, we need some more goals from him in the next sort of nine games as well.
2: I guess what we were talking about at the top about the lack of goal threat, so it was just really refreshing um, to see him when he played in the game against Barnsley because he was close to the striker and, and it worked cheap you know and and that's where we need him I think you know I think if you can get him near the striker rather than picking the ball up off the centre-backs I think that's when the balance of the team is going to look better uh, and that's when he's going to cause the opposition problems instead of causing us problems by doing kind of crazy things in midfield because he is a wild you know he's an absolute wild card you know and you never quite know and I don't think ever anybody knows not even him sometimes, what exactly what he's gonna do next. But if you're doing that in the final third of your position, um you can cause serious problems. You know, the little step over for the for the team goal against Barnsley. I mean, that was a bit of magic, wasn't it? And you know, that's where we need to see him, around the box. And so I think I, I feel a bit sad that he's played a much deeper role a lot this season um but i think it was a case of needs must cuz of a lack of options in midfield and stuff but ideally you want him just to play in a kind of free role um and and being in in dangerous positions so yeah he's he's going he's always going to drive you nuts at times and he did have a, a really tough run earlier this season where he couldn't get in the team at all he was he was out of the team for a long time actually um i think it was several months he didn't make a start um but he's worked his way back in and and like tom said it's it's nows the time it's end product time goals assists please I remember when he joined, actually, it was one guy who supported another team uh, told me he was a standard dickhead and he would let us down. And I think I don't think that's the case. I think he's surprised a lot of people. He's supplied himself. Um, and so hopefully now he can help us help us stay up.
0: That, that goal against Barnsley was absolutely outstanding from the fact that the ball went forward and then back and then there were runners beyond the ball um, and people were like constantly getting involved and then like moving on again and that's what didn't happen against Bournemouth and that's what Morrison was trying to inspire from yesterday and the goal against Bungie was like phenomenal just the, the the passing the moving and then the finish as well was just like was such a Um and we need to see more of that over the next nine games starting again on Wednesday but I think Coventry on on Saturday is the the big one we have to win that game.
1: Just to, to finish on Morrison two absolute real bits of quality in in both those goals really like the the step over, obviously, for the first goal, which is just something that I don't think any anyone else in our team really has in their locker or would really attempt a lot of the time. And even the second goal, like, looked pretty straightforward. But when Lawrence smashes it off the bar and it drops to him, like, I think the way he takes it, like, he gets his knee over the ball and then, like sort of chops through it to hit it low and hard. Yeah, it sort of gets a, a little bit lucky. A defender doesn't clear it on the line, but it's a really good bit of technique to to get his body shape right and and drill it. In the way that he does, I think a lot of other players in that situation may have like taken a touch or or like put laces through it and blazed it over or something. So, yeah, a real bit of quality there, and he really showed what he's all about. But the first goal, boys, just very quickly, the best. Derby County team goal ever at Pride Park, would you say? Uh,
0: yeah, the only one that I could possibly think of is the Bradley Johnson goal against Hull. But yeah, I'm a big fan of that goal against Barnsley. And for me, yeah, it's the best one that I can remember in, in recent memory. I,
1: d- I did do a very quick little Twitter poll on it in terms of A, best ever team, Derby team goal at Pride Park, but also was it goal of the season? I uh, did a poll on that one. I had that one, Lawrence's first goal against Sheffield United, Lawrence's second goal against Sheffield United, where he... Curled it in the top corner with his left foot. And then good old Belick bicycle v Birmingham, which turned out to be the winner, Ollie. Uh, that was, according to Derby fans and the 1,000 who voted or so, that was the best goal we scored this season. A few responses had on that one people saying uh, the return, the year to the day, the late equaliser has got to be up there for the goal of the season. David said that on Twitter. Um, and lots of people just mirroring that really saying that because of the circumstances Belix edges revels for the best goal scored this season do you agree?
2: Well I mean first and foremost I think it's nuts that a team that's capable of scoring that many amazing goals is in the bottom three do you know what I mean? Because they're all quality they're, they, You know, they're, they're all absolute quality goals they really are and I wanted to mention the Bournemouth game actually as well because just per, on a personal I think because of where I was sitting in the stand I had an absolutely perfect view of the the curler that Lawrence scored from the uh, I think it was from the left corner of the box, and he kind of he kind of just chopped it to make himself half a yard and just curled it, and and the ball just I could see as soon as it left his foot it was in, and it was that to me. I mean, I think just because of the angle I had on that, that's probably a favourite. But all those goals were fantastic, you know, and I loved the um, the goal where Festy picked the ball up. I think he would have tackled, didn't he? And he just he just went the whole length of the field. Um, And then ended up.
1: I could, I could watch him do that again and again. That's my favourite bit of that goal. The way he just steamrolls those two Sheffield United players is wonderful.
2: Yeah, and watching that in real time was just such a. You know, it's that's why he gets everybody off the seats. That's what we know he's capable of. So I want to give a shout to that goal as well, more because of his assist really than anything. So, but as I say, yeah, all these goals. um, When you've got players who can pull off moments like that, you shouldn't be in the relegation uh, mix at all. Um, But we all know why. Um, and just, I'll just obviously, I mean, it's, yeah. First of all, and a brilliant goal—the uh, Barnsley goal—it was incredible front to back play. The one touch, the link up, the finish, the dink—superb. Um, why Luke Plunge passed, I'll never know. But obviously, we're all glad he, that he did. Um, the whole one that um, Tom mentioned—the Bradley Johnson goal—I mean, that was that was Harlem Gold shot. As that was, that was amazing. Tricks and flicks and all sorts. I think was that 4 0 yeah, ah, oh, that was. I mean, what what a day that was. Um, but also, because I'm really old, I'm going to just mention the sort of the good old days in the '90s. There was one particular game uh, where we beat Southampton four nil, and it was a late goal flood. Basically, I think it was nil nil till about seventy minutes, and we'd hit the bar. Yeah. We'd, we were all over them. You may remember this game, and and in the end, we just we just demolished them with this like crazy just deluge of goals but one of them involved one chop in and Iranio basically juggling the ball and and it ended up kind of like they kind of like passed it through to Biano with it never touching the ground and then Baiano just smashed it in first time so kind of for sexy football I think that to me was one that I'll never ever forget you know and so I probably look back to that day as the best um, but also we were so good that day that the fourth goal came from Lee Carsley marauding through midfield, which I remember, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which just shows you how dominant we were. You know that Carsley was doing that. So yeah, I think I've clearly yeah we have seen better teams over the years, but we've not seen m- many better goals. It was quality you know and the, the the reaction from football all around even Gary Lineker was was tweeting his approval so yeah it was magical stuff.
1: Do you remember the um when Carsley scored that goal? Yes. There's in, in the highlights they cut to the bench and the look on Steve McIntyre's face. Well I I was I remember
2: the main thing the reason I reason to remember it was because I was screaming at Carsley to pass because obviously he's Lee Carsley and I didn't think he was going to score from there but he actually you know he just it was a perfect finish. It was like a passed finish from the edge of the box, which I just did not think he had in his locker. <laughs> and so, so I was screaming at him to pass and he just buried it. So it made me look a bit of a fool, but obviously I was laughing my head off. It was just superb. Uh, yeah. The McLaren reaction was just wonderful, isn't it?
1: I remember it well. Well, more in a second as Steve Linn was washing, but uh, don't forget that you can sign up this season to our Patreon and support the podcast going forward. A few new bits from us this month. Uh, Tom's done a, a cheeky little match day video diary from Bournemouth Uh, We're launching a a monthly prize draw this month for our patrons, new signups and existing members as well, where you can win uh, great food and drink gifts. And uh, this month, our exclusive extra podcast over on our Patreon is an interview with the man dubbed the voice of Pride Park. It's Matt McGibbon, Derby County's match day announcer. And here he is talking about his mad dash to Wembley in 2014, where some uh, traffic delays meant that he arrived for that QPR player final with very little time to spare. So find out more over on patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomers Washing.
3: Yeah, just just an amazing experience for basically what I am. I'm, I'm a supporter, you know, I'm a fan. And um, uh, the first one, um, Aaron was rammy and... Um, we had sort of instruction through that I would have to do six minutes with the crowd prior to kickoff. Uh, I would need to be there at no later than 1130 AM for sound checks, just to go through um, protocols and um, what would be happening. And we, we made the mistake of uh, traveling down with on the staff bus, which was leaving at eight o'clock. I think it was. And obviously the staff, there's out of the staff, there was only myself and Aaron uh, ran at the time who were actually working. So staff were having a drink on the bus and the bus was stopping and like, unbelievably, like the bus driver, you know, we set off at eight o'clock and I'm thinking six, two and a half hours or an hour for traffic. So I should be there. We should be there for half 11 comfortably. And uh, he, he, as soon as he gets on the motorway, the, the driver's pulled off for breakfast because he wants his breakfast. So that was like 40 <laughs> minutes straight away. It's like just eroded. And um, we get down. And the last five miles to Wembley was just horrendous. So within, at two o'clock, we are probably still around about a mile from the stadium. So oh my God. myself and Aaron jump off the bus. We we start running to Wembley. He's got he's his Rammy's head under his arm, which you know is quite a piece of kit to be carrying anyway um we sort of got down there for around about i don't know five past ten past two and then obviously the problem at Wembley is i'm trying to ring the guy up you can't get a signal because everybody's on the phones so i think it's quarter past two i got in the ground at Wembley um, and i was basically going to be on air 10 minutes later
2: hi i'm Dean Sturridge hi i'm Paul Pesky Solido hi
3: i'm Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing
2: Derby 3-0 up Good turn.
3: Carsley breaks clear. Carsley cuts inside. We'll have a shot and
0: we'll
1: score. Four goals now for Derby in a frenetic ending. No wonder they can't believe it on the bench.
2: Nine goals in two matches now for Derby County. And another home win.
1: So, since we last spoke to you all, uh, Tom and Ollie, there's been one key departure. I'm a little bit sad. Older uh, Kamil Juzwiak has played his last ever Derby County game. Um, one goal and I think four assists in about 60 or 61 Derby County appearances. I mean, just a, a huge disappointment, really. I'm, and I'm just really gutted it didn't work out. I, I, just, I just I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking back to the time when Derby signed Juzwiak in September 2020. And it was meant to be basically the... Like marquee signing at the at the start of that season, like we we're so excited to get a player like him. Like I remember, Derby fans were like tracking his flight from Poland, and there was a huge amount of buzz about him him joining. But the facts are, uh, Ollie, that he's he's we've sold him for a loss. He joined for what about three and a half, four million. He's left for about one and a half, two million, and he's headed to Charlotte FC in the MLS. Which, with all due respect to him. Bit of an odd move, I thought, really, for like an international European player who's, who's just turned 23. I mean, what was your take on it? Did he fail to deliver for Derby or did we just not really set up in the right way to get the most out of him? No,
2: I don't think you can say that. I think he just failed to deliver, unfortunately. I think what I would say, and I I always think about this and I feel sorry for him because I think I think the pandemic really did for him. Because when you think about the timing of him joining, um, you know, he comes over... And very soon afterwards it's 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 down. it's you know, it's it's just kind of like, how do you settle into a new country when you can't, you know, you can't socialise, uh, you know, he couldn't you know, probably couldn't visit his family, you know, his girlfriend, that stuff like that. That must have been really hard for him. Um so I do feel a lot of sympathy um for him to be honest for that. But having said that, you know, ultimately he had plenty of chances, um and he didn't didn't do what we all expected. And to be fair, I mean I remember when he signed, I mean I spoke to to sort of scouts, analysts, techie people, and they were all really excited and said, "Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely, you know, a quality player, and there's no doubt he can do it." Um, but for whatever reason, uh, that that didn't transpire at all. So, yeah, I, I, I think to me, when I went, I went to the the, the friendly against Notts County uh, before this season, and he was one of very few senior players in the team. I remember Festy played, Cashin played, Liam Thompson played. Uh, I think Isaac Hutton. So lots of young players, and obviously playing against a non-league team, and and you'd expect someone like Ozvia, as a, an international player, to really stand out as being a cut above, and he, he, he really didn't, and it, it worried me then. Um, and unfortunately, we always believed in him and, and and believed it would happen. It would happen. It just it just never did. So it's kind of like the man who never was. And I think yeah, like I say, I really feel for him. You know, I do think that COVID and and everything that happened there was a problem for him in terms of settling in to a life in a new country so I think it's for the best but it's just another disastrous uh, big money signing for Derby
1: unfortunately. The thing that people sometimes forget with Uzviak is that he is only like barely a couple of years older than like Bird and Buchanan and, and Knight he's still definitely barely out of the early part of his his career and I just wonder if I don't know I was thinking about other players who we just haven't been able to get the best out of do you think that our circumstances are a big part of this and that maybe if we had if we weren't in the situation we are in we could try and 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 give him another year to try and come good because the facts are that there was money on the table for him and we weren't really in a position to to turn it down but if you compare that to say a few years ago with someone like Mate Vidra for example look, I'm not saying they're the same player at all but if you remember how how long it took Vidra to settle in under like Pearson and how, how sort of goal shy and how, how bad he looks and the fact we paid a lot of money for him, it just took a different manager and a change of approach and an arm around the shoulder and some different coaching and some different techniques to completely change him and I'm not saying the same would have happened with Yuzviak at all but do you think yeah, in different circumstances we could have seen something different or was he just not very good? <laughs>
0: I don't think he's not very good as a footballer. I just don't think necessarily he suits the English game and the Championship and the way that Derby play. He often plays left wing-back for for Poland, so it's a bit deeper than being an actual winger um, and has a bit more sort of defensive responsibility or picks the ball up from deeper and tries to thread passes through. Um, So I think he's maybe struggled with that. Um, I think he's had enough time at Derby and he's also had two managers in Koku and Rooney who've both done their best to try and get it out of him and for whatever reason and I think I agree with Ollie with like Covid and the impact of that he hasn't he hasn't turned it on and unfortunately he will go down alongside the likes of um, recent foreign signings like Tverik and Albin Tosa and we used to be a place where you could go oh Derby signed a random foreign player what a player he is the Arnos the Wanchoks the Bayanos um, now it's like Derby signed a random foreign player which one of these is he going to mirror is he going to mirror one of these awful players or is he going to mirror one of the, the great players and he's it's always in the last five or six years been one of the awful players that we've signed so another mistake from the Derby recruiting team I would say good player wrong player at the wrong time unfortunately.
1: I was, I was reminded the other day of, of a tweet from uh, from, from Chris, Chris Smith, who we both know, Ollie. who I think said at the time that incredible scenes when uh, Józwiak turns out to be the Polish Gary Teal. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't a million miles off the truth, was he? Like, he did probably call it right. But it's, it's just weird that even like, even as recently as, you know, earlier this season, Liam Rossini was asked about Józwiak and he, he had like nothing but praise for him. He said, I'm really excited about Camille. He's an outstanding individual. He's taken on so much information and he learns so quickly. You take him on the training pitch and work on a movement with him and he gets it straight away. His football intelligence is outstanding. But then on the other hand, I sort of watch, you know, you, you watch a player like Malcolm Ebiowe, uh like t- take his chance uh, against Bournemouth yesterday. And he seemed to show, even in the first half, like he got past his fullback a couple of times. Like he, he showed great feet, pulled a ball out of the air and, and he, he was doing things that, We haven't really seen from Usviak in like a year and a half. So it's really difficult to give him the benefit of the doubt, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean it's interesting how Ebiori's been fast tracked actually into the team. You know, he's kind of leapt above Louis Sibley, who I did want to talk about at some point if we can. But um yeah, it's yeah, I mean ultimately he's had more than enough chances. Um I mean we spoke about a couple of other Tom mentioned a couple of other, you know, foreign players who didn't didn't cut it, Albin Tosa to um, I think there's a bit of a thread there, actually, you know, from interviews with them all. They all struggled to acclimatise. I remember Albertoza's wife was, or girlfriend was pregnant at the time and he didn't speak a word of English. Uh, Tawirik, I remember was a great interview with him with a Dutch reporter where he was talking about how much he missed his dog. Um, and it's just little things like that, I think, that can have a massive impact on. But ultimately,
1: don't forget the insoles of Albertos. Exactly, Exactly, yeah, the insoles.
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, so you know, the, you know, any any transfers a gamble, isn't it? You never, you can never guarantee it's going to work out. I do think with Josviak, there's a hundred percent a player there who's better than MLS level. It was one. It really was one occasion where the the, the analysts, the statos, were saying, yeah. I can back that giant transfer. It was a bit like when we signed Bielik. It was like those guys were kind of like, "Yep, yeah, a quality player, no doubt about it." It's I think the only thing with Bielik was the the, the price tag that raised some eyebrows, actually. But uh, yeah, I think I think yeah, I, I I feel I do feel for him. The other thing is obviously it's another loss realized. And um, one thing actually that I did notice in an interview, uh, well, yeah, an interview that the Charlotte FC technical director gave was that they said that they'd agreed a fee to to loan him with an option, but then the actual fee that they've got him for now is lower than that. So I remember at the time it was being reported as in excess of a million. So whatever it was in the first place that they agreed, it, it, they got a bargain deal, presumably because of the injury and taking a risk there. And also because of the distress which Derby is in. So I think yeah unfortunately it's uh it's a, another big loss and it's just a few quid to keep the show on the road for a few more weeks
1: yeah well the show is on the road for now I've, I've decided we're not really just going to try and dwell too much on the, the off-field stuff because I don't really feel any huge progress has been made it's been reported that the Binney family have pulled out but I think look we're going to save the major discussion for when there's something major to discuss basically but on the field anyway Tom nine games to go Blackburn next uh, the game's running out, as we said. Look, there's um, the possibility that some fans are saying that even just another 15 points might be enough to, to keep Derby up. Um, we're on, what, 24 now? So 39 is the magic number. And I think that's what Anton alluded to a couple of podcasts ago where we, we asked him what the magic number is and he reckoned the late 30s might do it. But the problem that we've got now is, is twofold really, is that, teams around us are finding a bit of form um, and Barnsley in particular have got a pretty a, a pretty easy-ish run-in on paper. So look, for us, Tom, it's uh, Blackburn away, Coventry at home, Preston at home, Swansea away, Fulham at home, QPR away, Bristol City at home, Blackpool away, Cardiff at home. I feel... The, the, the sort of the ray of light that I feel is that if we can keep within about the same gap as we do have at the moment, keep it to sort of four to six points, uh, I think Reading's game in hand is QPR uh, in early April. If we can keep it to around four to six points with three games to go, I I reckon we can win those last three games. I reckon we can beat Bristol City and Blackpool and Cardiff, but it's just whether there is still something to play for by then. Um, we need 15, maybe 18. Where do you think those points are coming from, from those games left?
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with you, Chris, in terms of like keeping it going as long as possible. And I think I said back back around Christmas that if we are within six points when we've got Blackpool and Cardiff, we can, in theory, beat those two teams and, and keep us up. Um, it's a big if, and it's going to be a big, big ask to get those 15 points. The games we have to target, Four, four games in particular, Coventry, Preston, Bristol City, Cardiff at home, those four for me are must win. And if we don't win one of those, we're going to have to go away to Blackburn, Swansea, QPR or Blackpool and get results in more than one of those games. Whereas I can see us doing well against Blackpool on Blackburn sorry, on Tuesday night. Um, be looking to get a point. Bristol City obviously went there and won yesterday. Uh, they haven't uh, been scoring very much because Bertrand Diaz, I think, is injured. Uh, though I do think he he's uh, on the return soon, hopefully not for, for Tuesday. Um, and if that continues, we could maybe nick a result there. I think football is, especially in the Championship, any team could beat anyone. It wouldn't have been um, beyond the realms of possibility for Derby to have gone in ahead at half-time yesterday and maybe held on to a 1-0 or got a point yesterday. And that's second place in the league. Um, we've got a point away at Fulham earlier in the season. Barnsley, Showed that Fulham aren't aren't well beaters but at the same time, Fulham can score four or five goals in in a very short space of time. So you you have no idea really what's going to go on, and it's so hard to look at it on paper and go, "That's where we're going to get this point. That's where we're going to get that point." Because on paper, you'd have said that Fulham will beat Barnsley, and they didn't. So I th- still think we've got to keep keep ourselves positive. We've got to really target those home games and anything we can pick up away from home. Given our horrendous away away form this this calendar year, um, anything we could pick up is an absolute bonus. Uh, starting on Tuesday night.
1: Oli, I was looking at. Um, I, I was taking the ultimate sort of glass half full approach last night after uh, after a couple of drinks, Good. and thinking if, uh, <laughs> thinking, look, look at those games. Maybe uh, you know, maybe Swansea don't really have much to play for. Maybe Fulham will have basically won the league by the time we play them, and they'll be on the beach. May and maybe those last three teams will be dead rubbers for them as well. So, the points could be available, and it's just so frustrating that. We're a top six side at home, pretty much, but we're a bottom three side away. And it doesn't matter how good we are at home if even a couple of draws out of the away games isn't going to be enough. Something has to change away from home for us to stand any chance, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think, I mean, Tom touched on it there, Blackburn's record recently has been, I mean, it's, it's really strange. I saw a tweet, actually, I think it was Ali Maxwell, said, I can't believe that Blackburn have scored three goals in the last 12 games and they've only dropped one place in the table. Um, three goals in 12 games. That's what's happened since Berendt and Diaz uh, got injured. They just can't, they haven't scored. So obviously now I've said that they're going to beat us 5-0, right? But, you know, um, no, there's nothing to fear. And I just, I can't believe in my heart we're going down because it just doesn't feel like a relegation season because the home form has been so good. You kind of come away from Pride Park more often than not with a real spring in your step because obviously we've, we've been winning a lot. I think we've won six out of the last eight at home. Um, and obviously, we've not we've only lost three home games all season, which is amazing. We can do it. We can 100% do it. I think what would make a big, big difference is if, and it's a massive if, but if we beat Coventry and Preston back-to-back, I think that would change the calculus completely because, you know, Reading, are, they're a poor team. You can't get away from that. When you look at their results, they lose a lot, but it's not just that they lose. They take hidings. Like they, they conceive four regularly. Obviously, Fulham beat them 7-0, but... Like they've lost two, they've considered two in, uh, sorry, four in two of the last three games. And they've taken like four, four, one, four nil beatings quite regularly. So they're a bad team. Um, And they've got. And we we haven't had that, have we? No.
1: Apart from Middlesbrough, where, you know, we gifted them a couple of soft goals. It was a a bit of a needle game. How many other times have teams absolutely pumped us this
2: season? No, none. We haven't. That's the only game where we've taken a walloping. And that's going to happen every now and then. Even Sheffield United have taken some, some wallopings, you know, like, you know, it's just you know it's almost a standard thing but we've been in pretty much in nearly every game so we can we can compete so we can do it we can 100% do it but every game is becoming like a cup final at this point um the blackburn game we've just got to stop the rot away if we can get a point at blackburn that would be fantastic just to stop the run of defeats but i think i honestly feel like if coventry and preston back to back wins that could change the 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 complexion of the running very very quickly uh, and then you know, Swansea away, nothing to fear there um obviously Fulham at home is ugh, you know just have to see qPR is a tricky one, and then Bristol City at home, Chrissy Martin coming back. Yeah. Oh, I don't. <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't do it to us, could he? Um, you know, a bit like Harry Wilson seems to be you know, seems to be trying to keep us up single handedly, you know? So uh yeah. you know it, being
1: being relegated by Chris Martin Gold, that's gonna just <laughs> come into tears right now. You know so I can't even contemplate I,
2: it. I, I still believe. I think it's possible. But I think I think your shout of fifteen points is just about right. I think if we in a normal season obviously it's Fifty points this season because of the way it is. Because Reading was so so poor, and have had a points deduction, and obviously because Peterborough are so poor, Barnsley have been awful. So forty points is the waterline, I think, this season. So it's doable. I think if we finish
0: above Reading, we stay up. If we finish below, then we go down. So I think, despite how bad Reading have been, and reading their Twitter this morning, uh, there's a lot of anger towards Paul Lintz as interim manager, and uh, obviously Tom Lintz being daddy's boy, etc. Um, but I still think that Reading are the team to to haul in. So for me i'm still focusing on that reading have barnsley on the second of april the same day we have preston um i actually want barnsley to win because even if barnsley do win that they're still behind reading um as things would stand i know obviously there's a couple of games to play in between that um and i think we just need to keep keep our eye on the the team that's fourth bottom and i think reading will be there uh for for a while barnsley being a poor team all season and yesterday on an upturn of form every team goes through a bit of an upturn and that upturn could certainly turn around quite quickly so so for me reading's the target uh and five points is still well, well achievable. It's going to be tough and it's going to be hard work and it's going to be a lot of ups and downs between now and the end of the season.
1: Well, we are in that business end now. It's squeaky bum time, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, fewer than 10 games to go. The gap is still five. It's crazy, Ollie, that uh, just before you go, the last time we had you on at Christmas the gap was like eleven yeah. and Derby were rock bottom and we were convinced that what you said anything could happen. Mm. Whereas now the gap is like less than half that. And, and if anything, the mood is worse. So it's just I don't know, it's very difficult to really put a perception on on where we are and and how good our chances are right well now, I
2: think it? I think what it really took it knocked everybody really badly when we had that run of three defeats because everybody was feeling good um you know we and and all of a sudden you know we went into a little run of games where we all thought we had a bit of a chance to to make up some more ground and we lost ground uh and I think that hurt the morale we did beat Barnsley we had to beat Barnsley you know if we hadn't won that game probably you know we're talking about almost conceding you know so We've, we've still got a chance, like you said, Paul Int's being brought in at Reading. That it gives us a chance, um, and and just finally, really, before <laughs> before we go, I just wanted to say how uplifting it's been actually to be at Pride Park this season, and be part of it, because I think obviously the team's done wonders, but but the fans have been amazing. Like the atmosphere's been brilliant. Um, I got to go in the South Stand um, with my old man actually for the Barnsley game, which was such a treat. It's just ace, and and considering everything, I just think you know the way that the fans have. have, have conducted themselves and 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 been such a know it's a cliche but 12th man for the team's been it's just been brilliant so you know everybody's got to keep it going now we've got another four massive cup finals at home five sorry five cup finals at home so let's just keep keep it going and and keep believing and the guys think you know the team clearly rises to it when we give them the impetus and the drive and the belief so let's just keep that going come what may
1: it's funny isn't it Tom that uh, Kutch mentioned something like that that he said that like the atmos at home games now is basically as good as it is at away games like a real sort of siege mentality and like party atmosphere at the same time it's great isn't it games at pride park right now
0: yeah they've been they've been really good it's been really nice to go to home games because they, they are like an away game for us because of uh, our location and so it's it's been fantastic to be part of that atmosphere and the march at birmingham city and the, the other home games have been to like black blackpool back in december and Uh, I know you went to Reading as well way back in October, November time. Um, It's been a a much different Pride Park. And I just wanted to echo what Ollie was saying about the fans. At the end of the game yesterday, no one left 2-0 down in the last minute. Normally, you'd see droves of Derby fans leaving. And everyone stood there and was celebrating and cheering the the players on. And They came over and Nathan Byrne, Curtis Davis, Colin, um, the rest of the team were all there clapping the Derby fans. And Nathan Byrne, uh, he loves us. I could just see that. Like, he was almost emotional, like applauding the Derby fans as they were singing the LA, LA song. And it's just really nice to be part of that and that togetherness. And uh, it's been an absolute privilege and it doesn't feel like a relegation season because of how, how much fun we've had going to watch games and how much fun we've had like being involved in things and seeing these things and scoring some great goals. But it, if that's what ends up, then... It's not the fault of the players on the pitch. It's not the fault of the manager. Uh, it's purely the fault of Mel Morris and his financial decisions of the club over the last five or six
2: years. I just think that if it happens, it would make an ace movie. But I'm not sure. Maybe your listeners could work it out. I'm not sure who would play Wayne Rooney, but um, it definitely would make a hell of a film. Um, you know, we've had the great escape. It would be the greatest escape. So yeah, um, if it happens, just uh, let's work out who plays who. Uh, maybe uh, Michael Sheen, I think, would make a good Steve Gibson. <laughs>
1: uh but well, he's already played brian Cl- he's played brian clough hasn't he yeah. so he's due to play someone at the other end of the spectrum exactly that yeah i think he's got the the
2: right look and uh the right kind of uh mannerisms to do a, a really good villain so uh yeah i think i think i'm just looking forward for the feature film and go watch that at, at like cube or somewhere like that uh, a quad
1: can't wait just trying to think of who might play Mel morris i think that's you know another <laughs> day i'll stick it on twitter and i'm sure we'll get i'm sure i'm sure the internet and derby county twitter will, will do its thing, but. Uh, Speaking of socials, uh, don't forget to give us a follow before we go on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Search Steve Bloomer's Washing. And we're on Twitter, of course, at Steve Bloomer Pod. And uh, subscribe while you're there. If you want to get every podcast pushed to your device, then hit follow on SoundCloud, Spotify, apple podcasts or wherever you get your pods but uh tom i'll let you recover from your uh, bournemouth bender thanks for joining us
0: thanks very much uh, i appreciate that chris i'm off to do some painting i think and a bit of diy
1: lovely old job and ollie thanks for your time as always pleasure oh, thanks for having me on guys really appreciate it and uh, yeah keep the faith everyone